Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com slash fright day. Fright Day, I'm your host Byron. A meek boy's folks take a weekend vacation at a hotel, leaving him in the care of what on the surface appears to be a perfect au pair. She's cool, confident, caring, stunning. But what happens when the baby city slash babysat stays up to see what goes on when he should be asleep? Tonight, we sacrifice our time reviewing Mick G's The Babysitter. But before we get there, I chatted all things Creep 2 with director Patrick Bryce and star Desiree Ockhaven. You'll hear that. And on the morning of January 15th, 1947, a L.A. resident made a gruesome discovery, one that remains unsolved to this day. I'll be laying out the grisly details surrounding the murder of Elizabeth Short, a.k.a. the Black Dahlia. In this week's edition of Byron's Serial Corner, I'm joined tonight by Kelly. Oh, hi. And Sam. Hey, guys. Something very tragic happened to me. What? Um, I've been assigned jury duty on the day before Halloween. It's okay. They oh, always no. they always get resolved before you. Fingers crossed. But if it doesn't, I'm going to really need your help. What, are we going to broadcast from the courtroom? No. We just have to show Byron how to look mentally incompetent <laughs> of, well, serving of that, on a jury. How should I dress? Uh, Tell me how to dress. Well, it depends on whether you want to get dismissed from jury duty or whether you want to actually sit on the jury. I, I would wear what you're wearing right now uh-huh. from right now okay. until jury duty. Well, I kind of want to be part of the jury and I kind of don't. Well, you got to make a decision before you decide on your attire. They should let you see what the case is before you decide whether or not you're going to fly your way out of jury duty. kind of want to be the coolest guy on the bench. Is that what they call it? You know, the worst part about that statement no. is I know that that's actually completely the, what you're thinking is it the jury booth box the uh, jury like box Wadir. sure i don't Wadir? isn't that what it is the, excuse me yeah isn't that what it's called see something i don't know either way i want to be the one that everyone's like we should get lunch like i said it's terrifying because i know that that's not sarcastic at all well hey i mean do you think we should talk about this to the press even though they told us not to well you seem like a cool guy you're the one that people will turn to with the tough decisions i guess that's probably true uh, should I be my normal, I know what you did last summer with no hook self? I think that's a that's fun not look. The, the big black rubber raincoat? Yeah, I just want to have my face obscured most of the time when they're asking if I have any reasons I don't think I should be on well, the... Excuse me? Are you kidding me? Don't blow, just wipe. Okay. We were doing really well, I'm I thought. I'm really sorry. I'm really Ugh. sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Everything's great. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe Jeffrey Dahmer business casual. I could pop on those big old frames of mine. Glasses, tuck in the button-up short sleeve. You think I'd be more likely to be picked as... Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm, I think because so, Because people wouldn't realize what you were going for, I think. They'd just say, hey, this guy's kind of a nerd. Either way, yeah, Kelly. Black I'm, slicker. Really? Yeah, but that's a good look. Bring in your EVP meter. Just go in corpse paint. I mean, they can't. 
can't dismiss me for that. You could go in with Juggalo clothes. Okay. Hopefully it gets dismissed. Okay. That'd be great. Uh, now I want to know what the case is, though. You got to stick around long enough to find that out. Maybe just like show up for the first meeting and then just leave. You know, whatever. Can you do that? It seems no. illegal. It seems it, very it's illegal. It's actually completely illegal. Yeah, okay. Bad idea, Sam. Bad advice. Speaking of illegal things, th- 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 those are things that usually happen in horror films. They are. You know what I watched this week? I'm very Horror curious. films, Byron. Okay. I watched Hush. You guys have talked about that forever. You finally got to Hush. I finally watched Hush. It was really good. I'm not sure how much I like the ending. I'm still trying to process the ending. Okay. I really liked the rest of it. It was not very fun seeing Jim from the newsroom as a jerk because I love Jim from the newsroom. He kind of turned into a jerk. Yeah. Well, in the newsroom? Or? Yeah. yeah. No, he wasn't. He was great. I wish that I... Do you know how great it would be if that show was on right now with the political climate? It'd be so good. Well, I'm sure I was thinking Sor- of Jim from The Office. <laughs> oh. I'm sure Sorkin's got something up his sleeve. Let's be honest. He better be. Sorkin, get on it. Uh, Kelly. Yes, Did it was he good. pop that mask off too soon? Yeah, I feel like it would have been scarier if he would have been hidden for longer. I but I also feel like that would have played thin I don't know. I think they maybe could have gone like another 10 minutes. Oh, it, see, I feel like it cements the outcome. Mask off, you know what's going to happen mm, now. Yeah, but that moment could have waited yeah, a little I guess. bit. I don't know, Sam. I, I love Hush. I actually need to rewatch Hush. Yeah, so that was really fun. It's a solid Flanagan flick. And then I've heard enough of our listeners on the Facebook group discuss how great The Exorcist is. Somebody just said Ty West directed one of the most recent episodes. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I got to get caught up so I can watch the episode that Ty West directed. So I started watching it and I actually love it, which shouldn't surprise me because though I'm not religious, I really love exorcism stuff, which doesn't make any well, sense. And you like The Exorcist. Love The Exorcist. Exorcist. The acting in this is really solid, though. I agree. I think I saw three episodes before. That's where I, got I am right out. now. Well, I'm 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 three episodes in, and I'm like committed. Well, fantastic. Yeah. So I I was very horrory this week. Uh, speaking of three episodes deep, I'm about three into Mind Hunter. It's not easy butchering people. It's hard work. Physically and mentally, I don't think people realize you need to vent. You know, there's a lot more like me. Do you think so? 40 years ago, your FBI was founded hunting down John Dillinger. Now, we have extreme violence between strangers. We travel around the country and teach FBI techniques to cops. You guys mind if I bother you for a minute? She was found cuffed and lashed to the bed. What people won't do to each other. There's nothing people won't do. How can we help? We should be using every resource we can, talking to the smartest people we find from the broadest possible spectrum. Are criminals born? Or are they formed? Psychopaths are convinced that there's nothing wrong with them, so these men are virtually impossible to study, yet you have found a way in near-perfect laboratory conditions. Hello, ladies. That's what makes this so exciting and potentially so far-reaching. I can't let these guys rub off on me. The way they view sex. And women. It is not our job to commiserate with these people. It is our job to electrocute them. We can't like everything we do. We're talking to serial killers. Serial killers. New terminology. I'm trying to warn you. Your attitude is going to bite you in the ass. So young to be ruining people's lives. What did you do? You're developing a pattern of behavior that will not sustain you here. Agent Ford, if you leave, I can't help you. There's no procedural rule book for how to talk to these people. If any of this is going to work, we need to talk to more subjects. More! You want truffles? You got to get in the dirt with the pigs. 
the new David oh, Fincher show on Netflix. I've heard a good. lot of good things about Holy that. Holy cow, you guys. So good. I mean, following my obsession with Manhunt Unabomber, where they talk about the birth of forensic linguistics, to have this show about the birth of serial killers as a thing, I absolutely love it. I can't get enough. The person that plays Edmund Kemper does such an amazing job. I can't recommend this series enough. Fincher, and he's done other things too, hasn't he? I Only recognize a few. the name. I mean, it's a weird name. Only a few of like, the most important oh, things that have like ever been Black done. Swan and... Uh, no. no. <laughs> I also got the chance to watch uh, Not Quite a Horror Film. Is this month Not Quite Horror Film Month for Byron? Not Quite Horror Film Month? Yeah, you've been doing Seems a lot of like Not it. which is like, ironic because it's October. October. Colossal, directed by Nacho Vingalando, director of Time Crimes and Open Windows. All around great guy. Hopefully, in Hollywood, I can't say anyone's a great guy. He right was great. Now. He's always been. He's been great to us. Uh, I forget where he was. I think he was actually like in the jungle shooting Camino. Like he was an actor in the yeah. movie. Uh, I think that was Daniel Noah and Josh Waller. Some of the guys from Inspector Vision did yeah. that movie. No, but I yeah, think you're right. he didn't have reliable phone service, so he, he just asked if we could email him questions, mm. and he took the time to write out really nice, thought out, very much not quote unquote, phoning it in. Yeah. Um, it was very cool. It was very charming, endearing. I, I honestly, he won my heart. And that interview was available on Friday.com in Colossal Gloria, played by Anne Hathaway. Really? Yeah. That's huge. I mean, that's a get. It's a get. She's an unemployed alcoholic writer who moved back oh. home following the breakup with her fed up boyfriend, reunites with her childhood friend Oscar, played by Jason Sudeikis. Who do you not love who's named Oscar? That's just a great name. Oscar Pistorius, the Blade Runner who murdered his girlfriend. Okay, I mean, but that doesn't count. He didn't have legs. Oscar De La Hoya, I assume, was a bad person. <sighs> Oscar offers her a job at his bar, which is a strange place for an alcoholic to work, to help her get back on her feet following... No, a lot of alcoholics work at bars. Uh, not a great safe place to be. Following a blackout night of drinking, she wakes up to reports of a Godzilla-like monster attacking South Korea the night before. After some experimenting, she discovers that the monster only appears when she is walking through her childhood playground at a very specific time. Wait, what? And that she's in full control of this creature. So why is it popping up in Korea? South Korea? Yeah. Where else are you going to have Keiju? Well, I mean, Kaiju? if she's controlling Kaiju. it, why would Kaiju. it be pop? I don't understand why it pops up there. You know, you learn a little bit about that in this film. They do explain it. They do? Are yeah. you saying that it's necessary to watch a movie to understand I'm, the finer I'm points? I'm going to say that you should check out this movie. It's an interesting, strange premise, obviously, but Nacho somehow makes it work. I don't know if I'm in love with this film, but I, I like it, like it. I, I mean, I, I think I would want to like it, but I'm not a big fan of big monsters or... Uh, just big monsters. Maybe this one will change your mind, though. Check it out. I also walked to the movie theater the other day. I was having a relaxing stroll. I popped into Happy Death Day. How was it? It was horrible, wasn't it? <laughs> it's the first movie I used my movie pass on. And you're glad that you didn't pay cash for it? A film I wish I passed on. <laughs> that was good. Yes! That was good. Tree M. Tree. That's not her fault. There's a there's a Asian guy I once knew whose name was Tree. T R I. She's a blissfully self-centered college student who wakes up on her birthday in the bed of another student. 
named Carter. Uh, as the morning goes on, she gets the eerie feeling that she's experienced events of this day before. When a masked killer suddenly takes her life in a brutal attack, she magically wakes up again. Kind of like in that movie Groundhog Day. Yeah. Uh, but... What was, wasn't there one where that something was going to happen on a train and there was a Matt Damon or a Ben Affleck and every time they died, they got sent back? Oh, Live, Die, Repeat, and that's definitely Tom Cruise. I don't know what you're talking about. Wait, train? That's Jake Gyllenhaal with some... God, you're... Oh. I'm sorry. Doesn't matter. This movie, guys, so strange. Even if a unlikable protagonist makes a turn, it's just a turnoff for me elevated in a way that made me uncomfortable strangely though the relationship parts of this film were super effective i know sam was getting mad at alex and i who have both seen this movie when we were discussing the love story you uh, popped in with your opinion on that well i was making also you couldn't hear it but i was making childish noises at uh, the same time. you were bummed by it and i was bummed by this film it's exhausting another yeah. bummer pg-13 horror i'm so sorry that you had to go to the theater to see but at least you movie passed it yeah. sam what have you watched this week uh, I haven't watched anything except what we were supposed to watch. All right. I have been in the woods and had no movie watching abilities. You mean you're working on your... Uh, I'm working on the book. The book you're working. Yes. Fantastic. I keep working on. The book that people at patreon.com slash fright day can get a little preview Yeah, they get of? some more than a preview. It's just, it's like the whole thing bit by bit. It'll eventually be the whole thing. All right. Speaking of Patreon, two of our new shows have already been put up. Shabam! One coming next Monday. Good Man. work, Byron. Wait, like, well done. Cinema Autopsy and The Writer's Room. We do. It's also Creeps Week at FrightDay.com. So much going on this month is great. Overwhelming a little bit. Can our Halloween be November? Yeah. Okay. Right. That sounds good. Just like the unemployed drunk Saturday is a Monday. I like it. That's a fun attitude to have. Sam, I had a great day. That makes me happy, Byron. I was lucky. You deserve a lot of great days. I appreciate that and I appreciate you. <laughs> I had a chance to talk with two great people. Yeah, Sam and Kelly. Nope. Patrick Bryce. <laughs> oh, real people. I see. And Desiree Ockhaven, star and director of the film Creep 2. Yeah, this is one of our most anticipated movies of the year. And one of the best people that we've ever had the pleasure of speaking to. He's such a good guy. Such a great guy. And I made a new friend in Desiree. Let's listen to that. Rick, long time no talk. How's it going? It's going good, man. How are you? Good. No, I was stoked. I was. I still have your guys' t-shirt. Is that right? Yeah. Have you received any other creepy packages in the mail since then? Or No, I mean, I should be more uh, hesitant giving out my home address, but I, I, I trusted you. I've moved since then, too. So. Wow. Shoot. Then I've got a lot of packages that should have been returned to me. <laughs> Uh, it looks like you've kept pretty busy since our last talk. It was way back in 2015. And I have to say, before we roll into Creep Talk, your Pizza Boy episode of Room 104 did a number on me. <laughs> Wild tension. What, what's it like knowing that you pulled the best Vanderbeek performance of his career? Oh, my God. Oh, that's so sweet of you to say. Uh, I, I agree with you. He is so great. 
in that episode. You know, when when his name came up as a potential person for that role, I obviously, you know, I went to Rules of Attraction in my head Mm -hmm. as, you know, one of my favorite performances of his and knowing that he can go to that like just dark psychotic place sure so working with him was just a treat because he's just a really you know amazing hard worker and uh you know uh kind of goes balls to the walls with his performances and so it was really it was really exciting and i just felt lucky that like that was the script that mark asked me to direct and Mm -hmm. you know at the time it felt like a nice sort of combination of themes that i'd already explored with both my other movies it almost felt like creep and the overnight wrapped into each other with both the sort of like long drawn out dramatic tension and then like some weird weird sex stuff thrown in there absolutely yeah and davy blue did such an amazing job as well and she's been in a handful of duplass projects manson family vacation true adolescence rainbow time how closely do you work with mark on something like room 104 well i mean mark wrote the episode for me and you know was a producer on the show so he was he was definitely around and you know it was one of those things where not only is it a great opportunity just because you know my experience is primarily working in indie film and it was the first episode of television that i'd ever directed Mm -hmm. but i was directing it with for the most part you know in both the crew and with the people acting in it uh, friends you know davy blue is a really close friend of mine and someone i've always appreciated as a performer and she's also someone as well as clark duke who i just like am thrilled with the sort of weird specificity that came out of the performance style you know it feels like almost like a like a david lynch a mini david lynch movie with dick jokes in it um and so uh, you know, I was I was thrilled with 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 her with her character and what she was able to come up with. And then there was also a level of comfort associated with it because you know, pretty much half the crew were people that had worked on the the overnight with me. So yeah. it was a nice fun transition into into a new new format. Mm-hmm. And it's been confirmed that Room 104 is getting a second season, right? Yes, it's been confirmed. Yeah. Are you going to be uh, attached at all in the second season? Yes. Yeah. I, can't, I mean, I can't give you any details, but I'm really excited i'm going to be directing a couple episodes one of which is definitely moving more into sort of uh classical horror um and so i'm I'm very excited for that well and that's what i really like about that show is that it has a little bit of everything and uh it also blends a lot of things and one thing i've noticed about you is that whether it's the overnight or creep you always find a way to uh, bring in tension and reveal where where does that come from? Oh man, I think a lot of it has just come from Creep having been my first film that I made and because it was such a long process of trying to find that movie and trying to solve all these, you know, weird specific problems that we created for ourselves, you know, finding that and injecting that kind of tension into into my filmmaking just kind of became a short there kind of became like a shorthand associated with it. So, you know, when I was writing the overnight, I knew I was writing a comedy, but there was also this weird narrative tension that ended up showing its face throughout the script. And I think that's one of the things that differentiates that movie, especially from other, you know, like sex comedies, I guess you'd call them. And, you know, and that's something that's in my Room on a Four episode, too. And it's something that's going to be in the future episodes that I'm writing and, and also other few feature projects that I'm a part of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it continues in Creep 2 as well. Yeah, I hope so. Unbelievable follow up. I was oh, great. super thrilled with it. For those who don't know, could you share a little bit about the premise of this second glimpse into the world of Joseph? Sure. Well, he's got a different name in this one. His name is Aaron now. 
we find his character again. He's lost his lust for killing and is going through somewhat of a midlife crisis. He's now wearing a ponytail and uh, is at least claims to be a fan of jam bands from the 90s. Um, he meets Sarah, who's a um, video artist and filmmaker and YouTuber who's got a YouTube show where she puts herself in uncomfortable, odd situations with lonely men. And we thought that was a nice inroad to um, having her interact with with joseph's character and so it's her you know finding him and going to meet him and then um sort of falling you know spending 24 hours falling under his spell Mm -hmm. and how did you find desiree she's just someone that mark and i were both fans of you know we we knew we wanted to have someone who's not just an actress but also a filmmaker and writer in her own right and i don't know if you've seen her film appropriate behavior but she wrote directed and starred in it Mm -hmm. and it's um, just a really funny, tight piece of work. And so, you know, she was actually the first person when we were thinking about this iteration of this movie, she was the first person we thought of. And uh, thankfully she said yes and turned out she was a fan of the first movie and sort of, you know, got the vibe and understood the like very odd sort of DIY production style of making this movie you know it's a lot to ask of someone to go out in the woods with just a couple other people and essentially you know we had a 15 page kind of scriptment but we're you know we're making the movie up as we go along in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and reacting to what we shot and so it's a little bit like jumping off a cliff so it's a lot to ask for someone who isn't thinking critically the entire time they're making it and you know thankfully um she brought just such a unique presence to a movie Uh, to the movie and to a movie like this, which, you know, I think her character is somewhat unexpected and hopefully contains a lot of mystery in in and of herself. Yeah. And both her and Mark had such amazing chemistry. I'm going to be actually talking with her as soon as we're off the phone. Do you have any embarrassing questions I could ask her or compliments that I should relay for you? Um, I mean, maybe you could just ask her what's it, what's it like being a scream queen now you know uh i think uh it's something she probably wasn't expecting but you know so far at least in terms of the reactions to the movie that we've gotten you know people are people love her and they're kind of gleaning onto her character so i'm I'm really excited about you know what she brought to the movie for sure oh absolutely and i know this was always the intention but a couple of days ago at telluride horror show you confirmed creep 3 I know Creep 2 is just now coming out, but is there anything at all you can share about the third film in the trilogy? Yeah, well, first of all, I did not confirm Creep 3 oh, at Telluride no. Horror Show. No, I was answering a question during a Q&A, which was, uh, you know, they asked sort of about the story of the first movie and how it came to be. Mm-hmm. And in it, I brought up, you know, the fact that when we initially sold the first movie, we sold it as a trilogy. And that deal fell through and then we found ourselves in a situation where we, you know, sold it to Netflix and we weren't going to make a sequel unless uh, there was a demand for it. Mm-hmm. And thankfully there was a demand for it. You know, we are definitely talking about creep three and it is something that we have a couple scenarios for. I can't tell you obviously <laughs> what, no, what I, they I, are, absolutely. but, yeah. but, it, but, it, but it is for sure something that we're discussing. And it's really funny that like a kind of offhand comment that I made then, got picked up on the wire and turned into I mean it's fake news yeah it's fake news it's fake news I'll just I'll just say that (laughs) yeah come on dread central it's it's fake news that's somewhat that's somewhat real yeah I also see that you're attached to direct uh, a comedy called 
plus one starring Jessica Chastain and Cecily Strong for Lionsgate. Can you share anything about that at all? Yeah, so that so Jessica and Cecily are no longer a part of that project. That's something that's sort of been in the works for a while. We're still trying to cast it. And it's just a script that I'm a really big fan of and would be sort of my first entree into making something for a studio. Uh, it's a big female buddy comedy. So yeah, so we'll, we'll see if that happens. And, you know, in the meantime, going to be directing these TV episodes and, and putting and putting more creep movies out in the world. Well, I can't wait, Patrick. Everything you've touched has been weirdly, extremely entertaining. And I, I, I love it. Oh, man. And I need your new address. Yeah, yeah, I'll give I'll give it to you. I, I, yeah, I wear your shirt when I take my one year old and my my dog out for dog walks. I love so it. It's yeah, it's so great to talk to you, man. Of course, Patrick. Thank you so much, man. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. I had a chance to watch Creep Two over the weekend, and I have to say, you're a fantastic replacement for Patrick. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really, I was, I was nervous to have your director be the role that you're replacing, but I, I very much appreciate that. Can you share a little bit about your character, Sarah? Yeah. So Sarah is an, a video artist, or I don't know if I'd say an indie filmmaker, a video artist. She has a show on YouTube called Encounters where she films herself interacting with men who post personal ads on Craigslist. And she is feeling artistically stifled and frustrated and hasn't really developed any traction with the show that she was hoping to to get to. And in one last attempt to do the final episode of her show and kind of redeem herself as an artist in her own eyes, she responds to a Craigslist post made by Joseph, who's now going under the name Aaron Mm -hmm. from Creep One. And... Yeah, I can't tell if I'm giving the plot of the movie. No, no, no. So uh, how did you come to the project? Patrick said that you were uh, a bit of a fan of the first film. Well, I actually hadn't seen it until I was approached by Mark. Mark wrote me and told me to watch the film. Mm -hmm. And then we had a conversation. And I saw the film and it was unlike anything I'd seen. And we talked and he was like, look, we want to make a sequel. And how would you feel about being in it? And I was really excited. And they sent me the treatment they had been working on, which was really interesting. Like I remember thinking, God, this is where I'd want this to go for sure. To understand who's that guy from that film. How does he reinvent himself with each murder? Because my favorite moment in the film is the last shot. When you see that Aaron's just one in a long line of victims yeah. and then each its own film. And it was like, shit, I want to see those other films. Then I thought, you know, how exciting is it for Aaron to potentially have met his match? And to not necessarily know if he is the victim or the aggressor. Mm-hmm. And what was it like working with Patrick and Mark on this? Well, it's intimate. That's the thing. But also it's only eight days. So you're very intimately in the trenches with people for a very condensed period of time. But you're not faffing about with a crew. You know, there's no lighting. There's no camera operator. There's no nothing. Like I'm cooking dinner a lot of those nights. So we're also just hanging out. And there, if there are two people I need to, I get to hang out with in the woods, it would be those two. They're kind, good people with integrity. So I learned a lot watching them. And I got to make something that wasn't fettered with all the bullshit that goes into making a movie sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like you find yourself spending all this time worrying about extraneous elements that have nothing to do with story and performance. And this was 100% story and performance. It's a very interesting way to look at it. Not a lot of people get that opportunity. When acting in such an improvised environment, did you find it at all hard to separate the characters? I mean, although 
Joseph has to be one of the most likable serial killers in history. At the end of the day, there must be some sort of residual nervousness when you're making dinner for Mark. Not at all. I mean, like, well, that's what's so funny about the film, too, is it's like a mumblecore horror film in a lot of ways. So, like, at the end of the day, Joseph's a sociopath, but he's also quite normal. Yeah. And he's trying to murder me all day. Yeah, it felt really... It, it just felt like hanging out like the entire day because the situation is not stressful because we're not chasing the light or the, you know, the clock. It always felt really calm and easy. And they're usually on set. It's super stressful and it's super tense. And that dynamic didn't exist. So it always felt easy. Yeah. And your character, Sarah, she's super calm, collected, relaxed, and not at all really uh, on the surface afraid of Joseph. Is that who you are in real life? (laughs) No, I wouldn't say that. I would say that it was definitely a choice that she wasn't believing a murderer Mm -hmm. and that she saw him the way she saw every other man she meets off Craigslist as someone she was in control of and had pity for. Have you had any creepy Craigslist experiences? Oh, I haven't. And uh, I'm now very curious to see what that experience would be like. But it also, I think it's sad in a way that it's like, for her, it's always an unequal power balance. Like, I don't want to respond to someone's sad, lonely Craigslist ad because I don't want to meet anyone, a friend or a partner in that with that hierarchy. Mm-hmm. I think it's depressing hierarchies. That's why like, I don't like the idea of being famous or being around famous people where like you have a relationship to someone's work before you have a relationship to them. I don't like those types of imbalances. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I never really looked at it from that perspective, but in a way, uh, Sarah's pretty exploitative and uh, <laughs> kind of selfish. Yeah, for sure. So it, it, this is your first experience in horror, right? Yes, I do not know this world at all. Do you have any Uh, thoughts on the genre so far I guess the film hasn't really officially came out yet it's going to be interesting to see how you react to that sort of audience Uh, I actually just got off the phone with Patrick and he asked me to ask you what it's like being a scream queen (laughs) I don't know yet I'm really nervous because I know it's an interactive audience and I, I am afraid that if people dislike what I brought to the table here that I will feel it. So, and I'm very sensitive. So God knows, I hope I don't hear negative feedback because I don't have the thick skin for it. I wouldn't but, worry about that at all. I, I very much enjoyed the film. Thank you. My God. I feel very proud to be a scream queen because I feel like we have reappropriated a lot of the tropes mm-hmm. that this was a film made with my character's dignity in mind at all times. So I'm very, I'm very excited to be a lady in this movie. I think what's really cool about horror is that the tropes are so ingrained in us that then you get to really play with what's beneath the surface there. And that's what this film does really beautifully. Like it takes those tropes and those jump scares, but then it also asks a lot of new questions and has a lot of genuine mumble Corey fly on the wall moments that feel quite heartfelt. Yeah. It's get away with that kind of stuff outside the confines of the horror rules. Yeah, that's why I like Patrick's work so much. Me too. Uh, what are you working on next? Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Everything else I'm uh, is my own work. I have made another film called The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which will have its festival premiere in early 2018. I would say it's based on a book and it's a... Uh, it's a coming... It's not... I don't think horror fans will be into it. Well, that's a handful of them. <laughs> Brett, who's in uh, Carrie, 
the remake of Carrie. Oh, great. Um, And then also I'm making a television series that uh, I start shooting in February and it'll be on Hulu next year. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, Patrick said great things about appropriate behavior. It's definitely (laughs) added to my queue. Thank you very much. Once again, I I think you did an amazing job. I think everyone's going to really enjoy Creep 2 and I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much. Wow. Uh, Awesome. And... I'm jealous. Why didn't you let me become friends with her? I need new friends too, you know. No, you need friends. Oh, that is really sad. Are you telling me that just because I carry around a garbage bag filled with Kleenexes that are used so I don't leave them laying around the house, I wouldn't have friends? Oh, God. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, that's okay. And Creep 2 is going to be available October 24th on VOD. Check it out, obviously. For sure. I I love this movie. Kelly. Byron. A little under the weather. (coughs) Got some diseases. We figured this is a great opportunity for me to step in. Yeah, as long as I get to follow up with some spooky versions of it next week. I don't want to give away what it is, but that's pretty spooky. Chunks of flesh from her thigh, huh? That was a new one. It's the Black Dahlia in this week's edition of Byron's Serial Corn. Fire emergency. Hey, they found the bodies of at least three young boys. Six more bodies under the John Gacy house. And one longtime acquaintance describes Dahmer as one weird dude. Stay tuned for Byron's Serial Corner. On the cold, dreary morning of January 15th, 1947, around 10 a.m., Betty Bersinger was walking her three-year-old baby headed for a shoe repair shop when they noticed something in the empty lot on the west side of South Norton Avenue between Coliseum Street and West 39th Street in Lamont Park, Los Angeles, California. This is a place that residents don't like you park your rental car. I may know that from experience. (laughs) Wow, interesting. That's weird that you, yeah. Yeah, they have security there. They don't like it. As she got closer, this something appeared to be nothing more than a discarded store mannequin, which is still a very startling thing to find. It is. But Betty's continued curiosity led to a horrifying discovery. This was not a mannequin. It was the naked body of a woman between the age of 15 and 25, sliced in half. Let me do another take of that sliced in half. My excitement still comes through. It's so creepy and gross. (laughs) Uh, Top and bottom sections of this corpse were pulled apart, uh, separated, I guess. Elbows bent at right angles above her head, legs spread apart. This woman's hair was black, skin so pale. Both had been washed, no blood on the body, no blood on the grass. There were some signs of blunt force trauma to the head, as well as quite a bit of mutilation, a permanent jack-o'-lantern smile carved ear to ear. Obviously terrified, Betty rushed to a nearby house where she phoned the police. A crowd of reporters, passerbys began to gather. Police took her fingerprints, sent them to the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. Using Sam, do you know what a sound photo is? Wasn't it kind of like an early fax? Mm-hmm, that's exactly Somehow. right. Due to a prior arrest in 1943, the victim was quickly identified as Elizabeth Short. Later to be known as the Black Dahlia, she came to Hollywood to be famous, Kelly. Well, it worked. She would find some of this, Ugh. but not through acting. 
Her brutal death has solidified her as arguably the most famous of Hollywood's unsolved murders. But before we dig further into the disturbing findings of the L.A. County coroner... You don't have to dig very far because her body was like right on the surface. She mm, wasn't buried. Well, let's get to know Elizabeth a bit. Elizabeth Short, born July 29, 1924 in the Hyde Park neighborhood of Boston, Massachusetts, to Phoebe and Cleo Short. Cleo is a fun name for a father that doesn't happen often enough. He wasn't a very fun father. He was a a terrible man. On the surface, seems kind of fun. He was making a living designing and building miniature golf courses. Yeah. I don't know. See, that just makes me think he's like actually like a closet clown. Okay, kind of a Gacy figure. Yeah. Uh, When the Great Depression hit in 1929, obviously the leisure sports industry took a massive hit. Cleo abandoned his wife and five kids left his car near a bridge above a river, leading people to believe that he had committed suicide by jumping into the river. Phoebe was left to deal with the depression and raising her five girls all on her own. Oh, God, it's black already. It's a double depression. To support her family, she worked multiple jobs. One day, Phoebe received a letter from Cleo. That son of a bee. Yeah, he moved to California. He apologized to Phoebe, said that he wanted to come home. However, she refused to ever see him again. Good for her. Good move. I would have actually gone one step further and he would have been the Black Dahlia murder rather than my daughter. I mean, don't murder. I would have gone and murdered him. I don't think. I would have murdered him. I mean, he's also feared dead. So. Yeah. So what is that like double indemnity? I swear there was an Ashley Judd movie about that. Oh, that's called Double Double Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Elizabeth, third of the five daughters. She's known as Betty Bet. Or Beth. Do you think middle child syndrome is worse when you're in the middle of five rather than in just the middle of three? It's all bad when you're in the Great Depression. Good point. She grew up to be a pretty girl. She was always told she looked older and acted more mature than she really was. Which is fair because these pictures of her, she's, she, she looks like she's about 35. Although Elizabeth had asthma and lung problems, her friends still considered her to be uh, pretty lively. When she was 15, she had surgery on her lungs following bronchitis. Lung surgery in the 30s? Yeah, that sounds terrifying. I mean, this wouldn't be the last time she's opened up. Byron! I don't know. You're horrible. Doctors recommended that she relocate to a milder climate during the winters so she wouldn't have as many lung problems. So she went to Miami to live with family friends. And in her sophomore year, she dropped out of high school. Bad choice. Well, in the Great Depression, a lot of people did that because they had to work with their parents, you know? That's not what she was doing. No, she was just being a bad student, hanging out in Miami. She loved movies. I like movies. And these were the family's main source of affordable entertainment at the time. The theater allowed her to escape the dreariness of ordinary life. She got to live vicariously through the people on the screen. So hold on, let's just stop for a second. What's the cost of a movie in 1943? Probably a penny or two. Okay, that's a British form of currency. Shoot. What's a haypenny? Oh, can we sing the song? Oh, Christmas is coming. No, no, no. I've got so much story. We've got to get done. (laughs) Sorry. 29 cents is how much it was. Well, that's kind of affordable. A lot more affordable than it is these days. (laughs) You know what I mean? Get the movie pad. Yeah. Once learning that her father wasn't a bloated corpse, the two became rather frequent pen pals. (laughs) Wow. And her love for film and his connection to California soon collided when she turned 19 and decided to visit him. Was she going to murder him? I don't think so. That wasn't the initial plan. She was driven by her enthusiasm for movies. She packed her stuff. She headed to Vallejo, California in early 1943. 
but it wasn't all, what's a thing? A nice thing? Sunshine and roses? Sunshine and roses. Because the dolly is a flower and, you know, rosy. The relationship quickly became strained. Her father often yelling at her for being lazy, saying that she was not doing anything with her life. He said she was a poor housekeeper and didn't really agree with her dating habits, being far more promiscuous well, than Well, I don't prefer. agree with his uh, fathering habits. I mean... <laughs> or his husbanding habits. That would have been a quick rebuttal. Yeah, you son of a bee. He eventually kicked her out wow. in mid-1943. So he also, in addition to abandoning his family, he essentially caused his daughter to get murdered. That's like double jeopardy. It's double abandonment. First one's free. I don't think so. Elizabeth applied for a job as a cashier at the post exchange at Camp Cook. Sam, what's a post exchange? It's like a like military a store. store. Yeah, on, on the base for the servicemen and women. And these servicemen quickly noticed her and she won the title of Camp Cutie of Camp Cook in a beauty contest. Well, that was just a bit more complicated than it What a fun era. What happens next is unfortunately still pretty relatable today. Elizabeth wanted to fall in love and get married. Strange, right? A little weird. Yes. Word spread that she wasn't an easy girl, keeping her at home instead of on dates most nights. It's sad just because she wanted real love that these people would uh, look down on her. I don't like it. Makes me sad. Well, yeah. Following an unverifiably abusive relationship with an Air Force sergeant, she became uncomfortable at Camp Cook and left to stay with a girlfriend who lived near Santa Barbara. Just blowing the schnoz in the corner, huh? September 23rd, 1943, Elizabeth was out with a group of rowdy friends at a restaurant or bar. I'm not really certain of which. Maybe Probably a bar that served oxtail. A pub, maybe. Yeah, a pub. She was arrested and charged with underage drinking. Police, they recommended that she find her way back home and actually went out of their way to arrange for her to travel back to Massachusetts, which uh, she briefly did. But obviously... She should have stayed there. The allure of the City of Angels... La La Land, the city of flowers. Hollywood Land. The Big Orange. The Big Orange? That's really? They, that's one. Uh, it wouldn't stop calling her name. She quickly moved back to Hollywood. Now, Sam. Yeah. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of dumb relationship stuff here, but I promise we're going to get into the blood and guts as fast as possible, okay? Okay. Quickly after she arrived, she met a pilot named Gordon Fickling. Fickling. I don't like Fickling. Was he Fickle? I don't know, but that is a name for sure. He's a great guy, but he was shipped over to Europe rather quickly after they met. Uh, Elizabeth, she started actually getting some modeling gigs, but much like many folks who go to LA to act, this is obviously not enough and it's kind of discouraging. She began dating another pilot, Major Matthew Michael Gordon. Matthew Michael. Uh, she must have a thing for Gordons. That one's a like a late 90s rom-com actor name. I was going to say, it sounds like somebody who could be responsible for a political assassination. Oh, right. That's possible. You guys think different ways. They quickly fell in love, but he quickly fell out of the sky. Dying, oh, he died? Dying in a plane crash oh, after being God. sent to India. Don't get involved with this woman. She is cursed. Yeah, this is honestly a bit of a bummer because this wasn't his first plane crash. Elizabeth had actually told friends that he had proposed while recovering from his first crash, and she had accepted. Really? That is so grim, but also... Who at this time frame thinks it's a good idea to get on a plane and go to India? I mean, wow. they're basically apple carts with a pterodactyl tied to them. And she's totally double Gordon heartbroken at this point. 
It's reported that she was actually telling people that she was married to Gordon and that she lost a baby in childbirth, which is strange, but I mean, grief can make you do some pretty weird things. Maybe he crashed the plane on purpose. That's for another episode, Sam. Yeah, I agree. Our Gordoning isn't over yet. Once recovered, Elizabeth reached back out to first name Gordon, rekindling their relationship. On December 8th, 1946, Elizabeth, who had been staying with a, quote, friend named Mark Hansen, takes a bus to San Diego. When interviewed by police on December 16th, he said, quote, I didn't see her, but she was sitting there one night when I came home with Anne about 5.30, 6 o'clock sitting and crying and saying she had to get out of there. She was crying about being... Uh-oh. Not good. Scared. Uh-oh. One thing and another, I don't know. That's a weird thing to recall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you were asking about someone, like, any previous circumstance, like, I would just be like, I don't know. I, I mean... He's fine. It's fine, yeah. While in San Diego, she befriended a woman named Dorothy French, who was a counter girl at the Aztec Theater, after finding her sleeping on a seat after an evening show, which is something I may have done during the midpoint of Happy Death Day. Don't judge me. It's fine. It's not judging bad. Me. Elizabeth said that she left Hollywood because finding a job as an actress was hard with the actors' strikes that were going on at the time. That's what the actress strikes. That's a fun excuse. <laughs> that, that yeah, was that was totally her from, it. From her showbiz career. Uh huh. And Dorothy felt sorry for her and offered her a place to stay at her mother's home for a few days. And she crashed there very hard, sleeping there for over a month. What a weird place people were at in the 1940s. Yeah. You can stay at my mom's house. Yeah. A stranger I find sleeping in a movie theater. Uh, yeah, but think about the people that gravitate towards this circle. Think about the weird shit that happened in Dahmer's life. I guess you're right. Like attracts like. And Hollywood was different. It was very transient. You know, people came and people went. Unfortunately, Elizabeth, she went from this place. Elizabeth did little housework and continued partying late into the night. She is just not a good housekeeper. She yeah. needs to understand that her skill set lies elsewhere. She really did think her skill set lied in acting. Well, it obviously didn't because she wasn't even dedicating herself to that. No, not very much. She also continued to hunt for her dreamboat dude. This time she became infatuated with a guy named Robert Red Manley. Names were so much more fun back then. And he was a he, truck driver. Not close. He was a salesman, oh, salesman who had a pregnant wife at home. Awesome. Very mad men Stellar. of him. Mm. Yep. He admitted that though he thought she was attractive, that he had never slept with her. Sure. Don't believe it. Uh, the two of them saw each other on and off for a few weeks, and Elizabeth asked him for a ride back to Hollywood. He agreed and picked her up from the French household on January 8th, 1947, he paid for her hotel room for the night, and they went out to party. Pretty normal. So much partying. I didn't realize people partied this hard in the 40s. When the two of them returned to the hotel, he says he slept on the bed, and she slept in a chair. Okay, A, baloney. B, if it was true, wouldn't a-hole. Yeah, it's not a very nice move. Oh, maybe he needed to stretch out after they got done doing their thing. And honestly, she's pretty good at chair sleeping. She was yeah, in the theater the doing theater. the same thing, so... Manley had an appointment the next morning on January 9th and returned to the hotel to pick Elizabeth up around noon. She told him that she was returning to Massachusetts, but first needed to meet her married sister at the Biltmore Hotel in Hollywood. So he drove her there, but quickly left as he had an appointment at 6.30 and didn't want to wait around for Elizabeth's sister to show up. I'd imagine he didn't want to explain their relationship. That's just my guess. Yeah, that's a, a tough one to 
slipped by his sister. So Elizabeth, she was making calls on a payphone when Manly left. God, remember when payphones were a thing? Yeah, poor old people. This would be the last time he and hotel employees would see her alive. Dun, 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 dun. Could you have some respect? Oh my God, are you kidding me? Could You're the you? one that made all the horrible jokes at the beginning. She would be missing... I'm sorry. I've tried really hard not to do that the whole time. <laughs> she would be missing from the Biltmore Hotel for six days before her body was found in that vacant lot. See, to me, that's the saddest part of this whole story. Anytime somebody can be gone for that long before anybody notices makes me really sad. And one more time, and I don't think it'll be the last time, I'm going to say it was a different time. It, it was a different time in the sense that people were probably in closer touch with their family members. Mm, I don't know. It was harder to pinpoint where people were. You well, know, they didn't have cell phones. Yeah, but. which is why if somebody was gone for six days, you'd be like, hey, that's weird. What's going on? It just means there wasn't anybody that was checking in on her that really cared about her that much. And that's sad. Sam, back to the body. Yes. Detective <sighs> Lieutenant James Haskins described the condition of the body when he first arrived. Quote, Uh-oh. The body was lying with the head towards the north the feet towards the south, the left leg was five inches west of the sidewalk. The body lying face up, and the severed part was jogged over. Not walk, not like ran over. The severed part was like jogged over as in misaligned mm -hmm. with the... About ten inches. The upper half of the body from the lower half, there was a tire track right up against the curbing, and there was what appeared to be a possible bloody heel mark in this tire mark. And on the curbing, which is very low there, there was one spot of blood. And there was an empty paper cement sack lying in the driveway, and it also had a spot of blood on it. It had been brought there from some other location. The body was clean and appeared to have been washed. And, uh, well, sad. I'll have a link to the crime scene images in the show notes, not the pictures, a link to the pictures, because this is absolutely a viewer discretion advisory. Even yeah. from me. It is. It's grim. And in case you thought things are worse than they've ever been, things have always been pretty terrible. Pretty awful. While the LAPD had to frequently investigate homicides, this was horrific and it became their top priority. Captain John Donahue assigned two senior detectives to the case, Detective Sergeant Harry Hansen and Detective Finnis Brown. So by the time they received their assignments and arrived at the scene, news of this gruesome murder had already spread. The crime scene was swarming with reporters, photographers, general looky-loo type people. Hansen was obviously rightfully upset that civilians and careless officers were trampling the crime scene and destroying this evidence. So he ordered the public to immediately clear the area. Sounds like standard procedure to me. Do you me. think that's why it was still like closed off when you tried to park there? No, I don't think they closed it off for 60 years. I mean, they might have. 70. 70. I'm not going to do the math. While the detectives investigated the crime scene, the woman's body was transported to the LA County morgue, where an autopsy was performed by Dr. Frederick Newbar the L.A. County coroner at the time, and on January 16th, he stated that this then unidentified woman, 5 feet 5 inches tall, 115 pounds, with blue eyes, brown hair, which I imagine is dark brown hair because she's the uh. black doll, yeah. She also had badly decayed teeth. 
So not only is she bad at housekeeping, she's bad at personal maintenance. Teeth keeping? Sure. He also said that she had been dead for around 10 hours prior to discovery, uh, leaving the time of death sometime during the evening of January 14th or early in the morning of January 15th. Elizabeth was most likely tied up ligature marks on her ankles, wrists, and neck, and an irregular laceration with superficial tissue loss on her right breast. She died hard. Yeah, she did. The body had been completely cut in half, like I said. The pictures make it look like a pretty clean cut. What cut it? We'll get into that later in the episode, but... It was separated between the second and third lumbar vertebrae, thus severing the intestine at the duodenum. Duodenum? Duodenum? No, it's duodenum. I, w- I was almost an EMT. I believe you. I've always just heard it said that. I very well could have heard it said wrong the whole time. I guess, time. I mean, you have Crohn's, so you might know your small intestine better than I do. My intestines are a nightmare. That doesn't mean I can pronounce them better, though. Either way, Newbar noted, quote, Very little bruising along this incision line, meaning that it had been performed after death. Oh, okay. And by someone who knew what they were doing. Well, that's why... Oh, never mind. I'm not supposed to talk about who oh, it was yet. absolutely not. Sam. Okay. Yes. Do you know the history of the Chelsea Grin or the Glasgow? smile does he ever the chelsea grin glasgow smile not to be confused with the the band of that name oh a terrible band then. Is yes. that what you meant? yes okay yeah awful awful band the rival uh football gangs would cut someone's mouth sneak up from behind and use well now they use credit cards i guess no but they'd use uh, a blade of some type to cut the corners of the mouth wide open so basically extending the mouth well back into you the really cheek. don't need to make the sound sorry God. Hey, can, sam can you tell the story about how one of your friends got one of those oh no he got fish up. oh isn't that like just a half glass well, of a smile it is yes. okay. with a blade no with a finger well, yeah, and it but ripped. Like, yeah, ripped is also, I mean, because, like, is it prank? We That's all... the stuff that happens in Butte. <laughs> okay. Like, in high school, we'd fish hook each other. In a no, like, his more whole face light... ripped open. No, it tore through. Like... How does that happen? I think it was just St. Patrick's Day, right? All right, that's no. a hard fish hook for sure, and it, we don't really need to talk much. Sorry, no, we Sorry. don't. In, in the crime scene images, you'll see this horrific, permanent smile that was carved into Ugh. her face. Just a, a rictus. Her face and body was also stabbed multiple times. Not very deep, just enough to pierce the skin. This is a detail that I hadn't heard. Uh-oh. Uh, apparently, Byron's squirming right now. I'm nervous. <laughs> pieces of flesh were gouged out oh, of her thigh and shoved inside her anus and vagina. Um, I don't think that Keith's going to be very happy about that detail, Byron. Since the body had been washed, it was impossible at the time, I'd imagine, to tell if she'd been raped. But it was noted that her anal cavity was dilated 1.75 inches, suggesting that it was possible. Oh, God. A four-inch vertical gash had been carved above her pubis. It's really unknown what the purpose of this would have been. It all seems so random. Well, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to lead you down a terrible road of what that gash would have possibly been used for, Keith. There were numerous cuts in a crisscross pattern over her pubic area as well, and her pubic hair had been torn out by hand. In searching the contents of her stomach, another horrible fact that I didn't know, uh, they found that she was force-fed human feces. I hope that these details are true because they're like really bad. If I just make this up. And like, I mean, it would be really bad if it was made up, but yeah. The skull was not fractured though, guys. There was noted bruising on the front and right side of her scalp. There's actually a brain drill song called Force-Fed Human Shit. Oh, 
The cause of death was determined to be hemorrhaging from the lacerations to her face and the shock from the blows to her head and face as well. Hold on, to bleed out from lacerations to your face, it feels like that's a slow death. You know, Because nothing on your face bleeds that fast. She was tied up and it did take place over six days, potentially. Oof. These horrific details were kept from the public. One, I'd imagine because it was incredibly disturbing. Two, so the investigators would have an edge during the investigation. 62 people confessed to this murder, and 200 known sex offenders were interrogated, but only a handful would be considered viable suspects. And we'll get into those suspects soon, but some serious strangeness would happen in the next couple days that I'm going to roll into right now. The Herald Express, it's a popular newspaper in Los Angeles, uh, having broken the case and knowing details that the police didn't, a deal was proposed between the LAPD and the then owner. The paper would continue investigating and would be given exclusives, and the LAPD would have access to this information, whatever was uncovered by the reporters, which I find to be an odd deal. Shouldn't they automatically have access to that kind of stuff? You, I, I, I don't know. I think that's a, a gray area. Well, I feel like you're getting in the middle of an investigation at that point. If you're not helping... I totally agree. A rewrite man named Wayne Sutton was assigned to locate Elizabeth's mother. Uh, it's strange to think how slowly that process must have been mm -hmm. back then. Like I was talking earlier, Kelly, we don't have cell phones. We don't have email. If this happened today, I mean, it's almost standard that the parents of a victim would know almost immediately before anyone else. Yes, in fact, they go to great lengths to make sure that's the case. So this guy, Wayne Sutton, he finds the mother told to deliver the tough news, but he did a little bit more than that. Oh, no. What did this jerk do? Knowing that if he was going to get anything out of Mrs. Short, <gasps> he would have to delay the break of the information. Oh, good God. He told her that Elizabeth had, get this, Kelly, won a beauty contest. What way Ooh. did this man die? Did he die slowly and you painfully? You actually look into how he died and imagine he's dead and he deserves it. It was only after much prying to get as much personal information as he could from Phoebe, the mother, that he finally revealed that the daughter had in fact been brutally murdered. At first she didn't believe him. I mean, that's a quick 180. Well, and who would do such a thing? Who would say that your daughter had won a beauty contest only to lure you in to tell nah, you that... it's just kidding. Just joshing you. I'm sorry, she's dead. What if I told you? Oh, my God. So the LAPD had to contact local Medford cops and send them to her house to tell her in person what had happened to her daughter, which is, I think, probably one of the more messed up elements of the story. I mean, the pubis stuff is all pretty bad, but Ugh. I mean... <laughs> heinous treatment of a victim's parent. The Herald Express would soon be swamped by anonymous tips and reports, uh, some of which actually proved to be pretty helpful. One anonymous caller told reporters that Elizabeth had kept photo albums of herself and her friends in a trunk. This trunk had gone missing during shipment from Chicago to Los Angeles. However, it was the Herald Express that actually found this in a Greyhound station in downtown Los Angeles. Hmm. And with that, they would finally be able to illustrate her story with photos of herself, her friends, her lovers. And on January 17th, 1947, a photograph of Elizabeth Short appeared on the front of the Herald Express. The paper referred to her as 
the Black Dahlia for the first time. And wasn't it because there was a movie that was out at the same time called The Blue Dahlia? That's right. About nine months prior. Which makes me think of the Blue Rose. So she frequented this drugstore when she lived in Long Beach and the customers remembered her for her black hair, black clothes, and being super pale. That's why they called her the Black Dahlia. Makes sense. Journalism was weird back then. Well, apparently completely unethical. Before Black Dahlia caught on, Elizabeth Short's killing was dubbed, quote, the werewolf murder. Really? And even after Black Dahlia became the more prominent name, some sources still refer to her killer as, quote, the werewolf, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Is it? Werewolves tend to cut people carefully in half, right? I don't think so. Oh, you're I, right. That's I weird. Mean, they tear people apart. You probably know more about this than I do, Byron. But I mean, the whole applying of nicknames to mm. to, to killers, I mean, it's, it's kind of just a way to either sell papers or kind of dance through the graveyard. Like, well, la la la, maybe this isn't so bad. Like, we know this is terrible. How can we cope with it? Give it a, give it a name that's not so scary. Well, and it'll sell papers. Let's yeah, be honest. But yeah. So papes. Papes. Uh, like the newsies. Excuse me? Sorry. Byron, don't. January 23rd, 1947. Uh, tips get creepy when a man claiming to be the killer calls the examiner. He told the editor at the time, his name was J.H. Richardson. Congratulations on the coverage. But he was upset with the way that they were covering the story. He stated that he was planning on eventually turning himself in, but not before allowing police to pursue him further. He was kind of enjoying the game, much like... The Zodiac Killer? The caller also said to, quote, expect some souvenirs of Beth Short in the mail. The examiner actually received a package from an anonymous sender the following day. The envelope was addressed to the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers with individual words that had been cut and pasted from newspaper clippings. Yep. Standard the ransom typical, letter. Oh, I'm familiar. Man, give yourself repetitive stress syndrome. What? Give yourself repetitive stress syndrome with those. Oh, from the scissors. Okay, yeah. I get it. Uh, a large message on the face of the envelope read, Here is Dahlia's belongings. Letter to follow. In this package, guys, it did actually have possessions of Elizabeth Short. It had her birth certificate, business cards, photographs, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen on the cover. Really? Yeah. The packet had been carefully cleaned with gasoline, which turns out was the same way that they cleaned Elizabeth Short's body. Ugh. He was doing this uh, in an attempt to remove fingerprints, and Sam, does that work? I can't imagine it does. Maybe for maybe for the technology that was available. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm delaying as long as I can. It's, it's, despite efforts to clean the packet, several partial fingerprints were lifted, but they were compromised in transit. Kelly. Wow. KCC stuff. Wow. It's more plausible back then, though. I, I don't mean, know. The, the, the massive incompetence well, at every level of society. But here's the thing. To me, that part of the story really ties into who the, the some of the suspects are that would explain that situation. Potentially. So the same day the packet was received by the examiner, handbag and black suede shoes were reported to have been seen on top of a garbage can in an alley a short distance away from the location of Short's body. The items were recovered by police and they had also been wiped clean with gasoline and this did destroy all the fingerprints on these items. Ugh. Didn't know that you could use gasoline for that. So backing up, this Mark Hansen address book being among her possessions, they quickly pointed fingers at him. Elizabeth's roommate Anne told investigators that Short had recently been turned down by Hansen, suggesting that this is potentially the cause for him to kill her. Anne was also, I don't know if it was at this time, but at some time, the girlfriend of Mark. 
So maybe they were in the middle of something. Really? However, he was eventually cleared. Wow. Over the next two weeks, over 150 men were also interviewed and cleared. One of them being Red Manley. Remember Red? Oh, I remember him. The last man to see her alive. Police, they also interviewed several people found inside Hansen's address book, including a man named Martin Lewis, who had been an acquaintance of Short's. Lewis, uh, he was able to provide an alibi for where he was. He was in Portland, Oregon, visiting his father-in-law, who was dying of kidney failure. So thanks, Pops. I don't know, for keeping me out of jail? Yeah? 750 investigators from the LAPD and other departments worked this case during its initial stages, including 400 sheriff's deputies and 200 California State Patrol officers. Various locations were searched for more evidence, including storm drains. You gotta stay out of those. It's where Pennywise Oh, is. God, yeah. It's for Kellywise. <laughs> Kellywise? It's me. Kellyanne Conway. I'm calling Kellywise. Kellywise, the dancing clown. <laughs> You're doing Kellyanne Conway. Yeah. Abandoned structures and various sites along the LA River, which I have to say, not much of a river. Yeah, it's kind of a gross thing. It's just a place for Ryan Gosling to drive. God, that's a great thing, though. Uh, No, 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 no. It's a place for Edward Furlong to try to escape the T-1000. Sam, with... Sam, Sam. Sorry. <laughs> No further physical evidence was found. City Councilman Lloyd G. Davis actually posted a $10,000 reward, which is equivalent to $107,000. That was in 2016. That's a big reward for any information leading to the capture of Short's killer. Many people came forward, but most of the information was dismissed. Several of the false confessors were actually charged with obstruction of justice. I don't The whole false confession thing, I just don't get. I thought that was very strange. People must have been very... Very bored back then. I guess. I mean, it's just weird. Why would you... Hey, uh, get a load of this. <laughs> I I did it. I mean, what are you going to... Like, what else are you going to do? Listen to the radio? I don't oh. know. They're There's no podcast. Looking for their true 15 minutes of fame, I guess. Man. Soon enough, more letters began pouring into various newspaper offices in Los Angeles. Letters again being put together by clippings from newspapers and magazines. Very crafty. So crafty. Kind of fun. Uh, letters that were considered to be tips were handed from the newspaper offices directly to the LAPD. And some of these letters were also received by the LA district attorney who also forwarded them to the LAPD. And it's these letters that were more likely from the murderer. It seemed like he was trying to taunt the LAPD and detectives, uh, once again, like the Zodiac. His messages were often convoluted and confusing, causing the detectives to spend much time trying to decipher them. I, this week, flipped through a couple hundred FBI pages of these. Uh, I didn't have enough time to spend as much as I'd like on each of them, but yeah, interesting stuff. (laughs) Everything sent to the LAPD, all of these letters had been rinsed with gasoline, so obviously no fingerprints again. Also, can, can they light on fire in the mail? Yeah. It seems like gasoline-soaked paper is still pretty dangerous. And I mean, I'm sure they sorted the mail at the post office by candlelight. Yeah, of course they did. Kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge does at night, walks around with that candle. Yes. Many of the letters also seem to give false information. Based on the way the investigators deciphered them, they were just not helpful at all. This is a huge waste of time, but probably something that the killer really enjoyed doing. That's distressing. Yeah, it's not great. One letter to the Herald Express read, I will give up in Dahlia killing if I get 10 years. Don't try to find me. Wait, so what? Only 10 years in jail for Yeah, but it. then what's the don't try to find me? That doesn't even make sense. I don't know. On January 26th, another letter was received by the examiner, this time actually handwritten. Well, now that was a bad decision. Well, this is what it said. Here it is. 
Turning in Wednesday, January 29th at 10 a.m. Had my fun at police Black Dahlia Avenger. Huh. The letter also said where the supposed killer would turn himself in. And this was the place where police waited for him on that morning. But he didn't show up. Instead, at 1 p.m., the examiner offices received another cut-and-paste letter. He returned to his original format. This letter said, Have changed my mind! Seems like this man might be illiterate. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. It's kind of like a Donald Trump tweet. It does sound like a Donald (laughs) Trump. That's very strange. Did Donald Trump go back in time with Biff Tannen and commit the Black (laughs) Dahlia murder? We'll get into that later. Of course, that theory will be discussed in detail. The best theory. Ends with famous murder in all caps. Most famous murder ever of all time. Uh, Best. The horrific nature of the crime, beauty of its victims, and intrigue surrounding these letters obviously made for a media frenzy. Many publications were printing sensationalized details of torture during our final moments. Uh, Police kind of let this happen because, once again, this would be more leverage used during interrogations with potential suspects. If people are coming forward saying they did this, the police are going to want details, and if they're just repeating bullshit yeah. that the news prints, then they know that they have the wrong people. Yeah. February 1st, the Los Angeles Daily News reports that the case had run into a, quote, stone wall with no new leads to pursue. Really? The Black Dahlia was front page news on the examiner for 35 days following the discovery of the body, and the case starts to cool down. On February 25th, 1947, investigators had an idea Due to how cleanly Beth was cut in two, they were convinced that the murderer had medical training in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting to it. And here's a quote from an FBI letter. Sam, you want to read it? Um, sure. Do a funny voice like you're an <clears throat> FBI Fine. man. Government man. You're going to be great. You're going to do great. <laughs> the manner in which Elizabeth Schwartz's body was dissected has indicated the possibility that the murderer was a person somewhat experienced in medical work. The Los Angeles Police Department has undertaken to develop suspects among medical and dental schools in the area, as well as other students who have anything to do with human anatomy. It sounded a bit East Coasty, but it was good. You the know. FBI yeah, brings yeah. agents in from all over. Well, plus they're stationed in Washington, D.C., duh. The University of Southern California complied with the LAPD and sent them a list of their medical students verified in an FBI letter on March 6, 1947. I can't do it, Sam. Uh, And it wasn't reinforcements. It's a reference. (laughs) Not only could I not do the accent, I couldn't even start the the quote right. Uh, Reference is made to your letter on February 25th, 1947. Submitting a list bearing the names of students enrolled in the medical school at the University of Southern California and requesting that these names be searched through the criminal indices of the identification division. And and obviously, because of the minimal amount of bruising and the precision of the separation of Elizabeth Short's top and lower halves of her body. She was dead. Yeah. It's very possible the person that did this to her had medical training. Yeah. Or practice. Yeah. Sounds like Jack the Ripper. (sighs) Yeah. A little bit like Jack the Ripper. So if you weren't paying attention when I started this report. I wasn't. This case is still unsolved. At the time, the L.A. district attorney narrowed the suspects down to 22 potential killers. Over the years, some of the original 22 had, have been cleared, and new suspects have been added to this list. Next week. Oh, no, the, you didn't. I did. In the first two-part episode of Byron's Serial Corner, we'll be discussing some of these suspects, as well as serial killer and cover-up theories 
Kelly. Yo. You're very welcome. Thanks, B, for your report tonight. Uh Uh-huh. That was a lot of fun. That was great, That was great. Thanks for doing it. Well done, sir. I learned a lot about the Black Dahlia murder. I learned a lot about East Coast FBI accents. I did, too. I learned I can't do it. Is that just like a subtle try to do it, though? I don't right there at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, guys, I never had a babysitter. Never? No. Never. Your parents just didn't go anywhere because they were too afraid of what you would do. Well, they had the door lock. Your poor parents. This gentleman was far luckier than I. Oh, because he had a hot babysitter? Well, we'll talk a little bit about that. What do you say we review the babysitter? Hope you're enjoying your visit here this evening. Now, on with the show. The Babysitter is a 2017 American teen horror comedy directed by a gentleman known as Mick G. Which is honestly, I want to talk more about gonna, that than the movie. <laughs> we're going to get that into that. the movie wasn't good. Uh-huh. First, Sam, tell us a little bit about The Babysitter. Cole is madly in love with his babysitter, B. She's hot, funny, and popular. One night, in a moment of defiance... Cole secretly stays up past his bedtime to discover she's actually a cold-blooded killer who's in league with the devil. He now must spend the night evading B's band of killers who will stop at nothing to prevent Cole from spilling their dark secret. It's up to Cole to survive the night and blow up a few people along the way. Joseph McGinty Nickel, known mononymously as Mick G. Kelly. Yeah. A lot to talk about with Mick G. I He's don't know what mononymously means either. He's known as one name, like Prince. I, I got it. Oh, I got my name. Okay, I see. That he makes actually sense. said the right word, Sam, so don't give him no. shit. He's got a pretty interesting track record. Yeah. He's done a really eclectic range of films, let me just say. I feel like he's just gotten luckier and luckier as time went on. Yeah, maybe he's actually practicing black magic himself. Yeah, very possible. In 1995, he produced Sugar Ray's first album, co-writing yes. songs on their second. This included the smash hit Fly. Yes. But if you're honest, you liked it back then. I loved Fly. I mean, everybody. I was did. in fifth grade. It was a hell I of a I still like jam. it now. And he's actually directed over 50 music videos. Uh, two standouts, Smash Mouth's All-Star and Offspring's Pretty Fly for a White Guy. Yeah, do you know what else he's directed movie-wise, though? I'm very curious. We Are Marshall, which is a legit feel-good movie. Yeah. Okay? We've got Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Better than it needed to be, honestly. It was better than it needed to be. And the more important thing that is implied in that statement is that the man got to work with Crispin Glover. All right. Which might be where he's derived all of his power. Sure. The Lethal Weapon TV show. He's done a few episodes of that. I haven't seen that. Haven't I have seen not it. seen that either. Sam, he did Terminator Salvation. Which, Meh. Yeah, that's not a good And one. then Sam, do you remember yeah. the rom-com we watched that had Tom Hardy and Chris Pine and Reese Witherspoon? I actually think it's the last rom-com like I got a, you to watch. like a nightmare This film. Means War. Do you remember that? Well, that's how you tricked him into it. Yeah, hey, it's got Tom Hardy and Chris Pine, Sam. Let's go and it's watch called this. This Means War. Right. It was 
bad. Probably. I bad. loved it. It was fun. I mean, it wasn't a good movie. It was a fun movie. Nick G. Yeah. He also. Why did you say the standout? You missed the standout of uh, Bare Naked Ladies one week and Fastball right? the way. Which fun story, guys? I saw Sugar Ray with Fastball. Okay. Oh, How do you like them apples? That's not a. It's funny that you think that that's a fun story. I didn't mean, <laughs> I didn't mean for this to happen. Let's well, moving on. So the man's weird, and this is kind of a weird film, honestly. Hilarious. Did you know this was actually a script that was on the 2014 blacklist? I was waiting for you to say that. That's always my favorite thing. It's, I love no, it's a great thing. The blacklists scripts. are amazing. It Why seems... don't we comb the blacklist for this year so we can figure out what's going to be good next year? It's not like it's published somewhere. Well, it is, actually. It is. No, it's not. It's secret. No, no Sam, it, it is published. Secret. No, you're wrong. No, they won't let people like us near it. Oh, it's very available, <laughs> Sam. And that's fine. Oh, God, they're going to kill you. I'm aware of it. Uh, wow. Wow. Okay. So, The Babysitter. This is a Netflix original film. So, Samara Weaving. You know something's wrong. Well, first of all, she was in Mayhem and she was great in Mayhem. And actually, first of all, she was in three episodes of Ash versus Evil Dead. That's where she stole my heart. Really? True. Okay, now here's the thing, Byron. She seems way too traditionally pretty for you to actually like her. No, she will Stop it. No, it's fine, Sam. We're all very aware that I have eclectic tastes in women. I would not... I would say you have very weird specific tastes, and they don't seem to include anything as normal looking as this woman. (laughs) All right. She's beautiful, but she's also funny, and I like that. So when I saw at the beginning of the show that she's that good looking, and she supposedly has all these interests in the same, like, horror movies and everything that he likes, Mm -hmm. like, okay, Clearly, something is way off here. I don't know what it is, but something's gonna go wrong. Yeah, but they do E.T. Finger, and she's B, and he's C for Cole. Oh, no, I got it. And they have this amazing relationship. She's got his back, and she truly believes in him, maybe. Well, there's the maybe. The problem is, she's really just been using him this whole time. And we'll get into that. For his blood. The parents go out of town. They're played by Leslie. So upsetting to see Leslie Bibb, the mom of... A teenager? I'm like, wait, 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 no, she's supposed to be the hot babysitter. She's not supposed to be the mom she's of a still teenager. Very cute. She had those overalls. She was very cute. Husband, I love the overalls are the cute part. You're so freaking weird. Ken Marino. That's a good dad. Yeah, great dad. Dad, a little disconnected, but trying hard. Very he was trying patient, hard. Always brings the jorts. Yeah. So they're trying to spice up their relationship. Who knows if they went full Gerald's game? Honestly, we don't really see too much about these people. Oh, they were not going full Gerald's game. No? Do you see that scene? There's <laughs> a quick cut. Yeah, there was nothing Gerald's game like at risk of happening there. But they were going on a vacation. They were. Is that a thing? No, it's it's a thing now. It All is right. a thing now. I suppose. Well done, B. You're welcome. Leaving Cole alone with B. Which they'd done plenty of times before, it mm-hmm. seems like. One of Cole's classmates. Lady friend, uh-huh. I would say. I would say potential lady friend. I liked her. Great actress. She had to put up with a real D-bag dad. She suggests that no matter how cool B may be, after Cole goes to bed, she's absolutely having boys over and banging. Which is traditional. Right. I mean, in anybody who's still yeah. So she's the one that inspires him to stay up late and see what's going on, which, you know, makes her responsible for all the crap that goes down, really. And when he does sneak out of the bedroom hours after he should be conked out. Yeah, he's watching this friendly spin the bottle game for a while and a then suddenly turns into a double knife head stab. Uh, sure does. Really epic. Completely unrealistic because that couldn't happen, but well, it was really fun to watch. I don't think you remain that conscious. No, there were a lot of... <laughs> Like real catastrophic head injuries from which people seem to not be suffering as quickly and finally as I, I believe they would. Well, the satanic cult members had like special powers working from them from all the blood they'd chugged of coals over the years. So. See, I 
kind of got the feeling that B was bringing in new people each time she was oh, having maybe. a ceremony. I, I guess I don't know. That could be the case. It seemed like they were, I guess, minimally aware of how this worked. Well, yeah, they had to be at least somewhat old hands at it because none of them were the slightest bit disturbed by what was transpiring. Possible that they were part of this cult, but that this was the first time that they were sacrificing. But I don't know. That could just be me. Uh, this cast of cult members, though, perfectly cast. Bella Thorne. Oh, which is walking stereotypes. Who we're finally going to see Bella Thorne in the new Amityville movie that's been, oh you know, she was no, what, not. seven when it was filmed? I say we that. We are not going to see it. I bet we're going to be in line oh, to no, it's see for it. Free. It's for free. Did you not see the <laughs> oh, ad? Yeah, it's, it's Amazon, right? Yeah, it's Amazon for free. Well, that's a sad end of that for sure. Yeah. Uh, Bella Thorne plays Allison. She's a She's just a dumb cheerleader. She is. Pretty hot. She has a boob that deflates. Oh, right. And that's pretty fun. We've got Max, the jock friend, played by Robbie Emil. And you will hate this guy. Dude, really? I thought he was hilarious. I end up really enjoying him. I don't when know When he's why. trying to coach Cole along at the same time he's trying to kill him. The balance between him wanting to help Cole and him wanting to kill Cole that flips on a dime. It's amazing. It was I, I thought he was a lot of fun. And I strangely felt like they had some sort of weird brother bond. They did. I mean, he was definitely going to kill him. He had to. Yeah, but he was very brotherly aside from that. Why doesn't he have his shirt on? Are you kidding me? Do you see him? I know. <laughs> oh, we're both doing it. Yeah. It's a bit. Yeah. All right. That's what they said in the movie, you know. Same reason I have my shirt on. <laughs> oh, that's not Because true. it's cold. Andrew Bachelor. He plays John. He was funny. AKA King Batch. He's a YouTube celebrity. He seemed a little less comfortable with what was going on. Well, he and his um, finale yes. was my favorite. It was it pretty was good. good. Now, that um, is a spoiler. We're not giving that away. Which leads me to uh, practical effects. So fun. Pretty so good. over the top. The way they handled most of the happenings in this movie. Very fun. Yeah. But uh, still not pulling punches. No. You kind of expect there to be some... Because there's a lot of cutesy stuff, and you're like, oh, that's pretty funny. That's And then, oh, jeez, that's a, just a ton of blood, and it mm -hmm. went right in there. To speak to the effects, there is one climactic scene that does use some pretty obvious VFX, but it's done really, really well. I mean, it's obvious, but, you know, they make it quick, and they don't. Oh, yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just pantomimed it for Byron. Okay, that's good. The car. The part, the car part. Mm -hmm. I think did a, a really good job of it. Cole, played by Judah Lewis. And the lion? No, he, the lion isn't there. He's 16. I think he killed it. He did. I, he did a really, really good job. He was very fun. Did you know that he was actually one of the six actors screen tested for the lead role in the new reboot of Spider-Man? No kidding. Yeah. I could see that. He's a little too cute. You know? Yeah. I think the problem is now that you've seen him in this role, it's like, that's what you're going to see him as. Maybe. This is one of his first starring roles, but I could see him doing some really cool stuff. He was in an episode of CSI Cyber, which is my least favorite of the CSI genre. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, worse I don't watch than the, That sounds like it's worse than the original, even. I'm sure it is. And the original's terrible. I mean, what else is there to say? This movie is pretty much just a well-paced... Slasher. Yeah. Survival film. Yep. There's some really fun touches, like titles and things like that, mm -hmm. <laughs> that relate to the action on screen. A little bit like... Uh, zombie land sure oh yeah i can see that they kind of push forward the comedy and lightheartedness of such a horrific film 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Kelly's your nose falling off? It, it actually is. Kelly's dying. We actually had to postpone recording by a day, and she's not better today. I'm still dying. All yeah, right. I'm well, sorry let, about the dying. Let's get you to bed. Let's okay. wrap it up, Kelly. What argue. are your final thoughts on this movie? This movie was really fun. I did not anticipate liking it as much as I did. A wonderful bit of comic relief that was certainly entertaining enough to keep me engaged the whole time, and especially the fact that it's on Netflix. This is one that I could have bought as like a large theatrical release. This sure. seems like it could have made its way. I give this movie 7.6 deflated boobs. I was going to use that one. Okay. Uh, no, this was fun. It was a, just a, a no thought required, enjoyable eye candy slasher film. And I am going to give it 6.8 human sacrifices. Yeah, I'm in love with Samara Weaving. Her cult was a perfect representation of uh, fun, lighthearted slasher survival tropes. Love a trope. For some reason, the way McGee made this film, it took meta survival slashers and made it something way funner than it deserved to be. This is perfectly cast. It's bloody. It's a satanic ceremony gone right and wrong. Fair. And I loved it. I'm going to give this movie eight neck impaled awards even. Nice. And those are our thoughts on The Babysitter, which is streaming now on Netflix. It is. So if you haven't seen it, what the heck are you doing? What are you doing Come even? on, do something with your life. It's God, October. Already, Come please. on. Let's have a full conversation about this movie. We've been talking a little bit about it already. Facebook.com slash group slash Fright Day. Yep, that one. But let's get into it further. Instagram, Twitter, at Fright Day. We're all having a great time there. Frightday.club is a really good spot. Mm-hmm. Captain Kelly Cryptids Conspiracy is going to be out Monday. EVPs, and it's got a little bit of a surprise. Sure does. That's a bit of a tease. Courtesy O Byron. Oh, don't. It's true, though. That's exclusively for Patreon patrons. Patreon.com slash Friday is the place you can sign up to be one of those. And there's so many things that you get by doing that. Yes, you get the aforementioned bonus content created by Kelly, more in-depth episodes uh, just about weird stuff. And you get now access to our new podcasts like... The Writer's Room, mm-hmm. uh, where our awesome writers just kind of talk about what they've been up to regarding Fright Day. Cinema Autopsy, which is us watching a movie and giving our commentary on you it. You just might learn something. You might. I'm... We'll also send you stuff. And you also get a promo code for 15% off all of our merchandise at shop.frightday.com when you're a Patreon patron. And that is good all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you like the show and want to help us make it even better, you can grab something spooky direct at shop com. Kelly, what's your favorite thing right now? Oh, on our page? Shop.friday.com. Well, the Bigfoot t-shirts, but they're going fast. There's really just a couple left. Yeah, well, if you get one of those, you're so your a favorite lucky thing, duck. So your favorite thing is the two ghoul for school pins? No, my favorite thing is the Captain Kelly's pins. I have an idea that maybe once that Bigfoot shirt is gone, that we could make some chenille Bigfoot patches. Oh my God, I have to end this show I'm so sorry. fast. I'm very Jesus. Sorry. But most importantly are those reviews. They're yes. the things that get us in front of new eyes and ears. Yep. It's in true. front of the eyes into the ears. A few of them. This person did just that. Have you uh, have we heard from Fangle Dangle? Read it. Great content, great production, five stars. I've been listening to the podcast for over a year now and cannot stress enough how enjoyable it is. Hosts Byron, Kelly, and Sam are genuine, hilarious, and generally always well-researched. Woo! What, I mean, what, what, what? It was a bit passive-aggressive Ooh, in there. I don't know. I don't know if I liked that attitude. <laughs> they cover, you liked it just fine. They cover a huge span of material in Captain Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. 
Well, she said captain. She did. And That's okay. I take it back. That She's content great. with Byron's Serial Corner and Sam's Weapons Authenticity Report, in addition to a weekly horror movie review, the podcast has ignited my appreciation of the genre and has an added bonus of being my brother and I's podcast to share and discuss. Oh, I love when people share us. The cherry on top of it all is Byron's incredible production. I'm blushing. Aww. Which includes great editing, fantastic audio quality, and an attention to detail that i have yet to find in another podcast easily my favorite thank you so much for that that was extremely nice nice. i'm glad that we bring you and kanglam together kelly where can we find you on the internet oh wherever all right you can find me at kelly fright day on twitter or you can email me kelly at friday.com how about you sam i'm at sam fright day on twitter sam underscore milo dragovich on instagram email me sam at fright day.com and i just wanted to say thank you thank you thank you thank you to nikki who sent us some really fantastic oh my uh, god homemade wanted posters in the fashion of those in it they're very cool they're and some other movie posters and a nice note. So, Nikki, thank you so much. You're totally rad. Amazingly rad. So much fun. Our daughters are really having a good time with our missing posters. And on a serious note, um, we would just like to say we don't. I don't think we've ever done this, and we probably won't do it. But I just wanted to dedicate this episode to Danny, who is going through some a really really hard time right now. It's yeah. something that's uh, unimaginably difficult. And our, our hearts and our thoughts are with her. Mm-hmm. So keep listening and let us know if we can do anything for you. Yeah, we're, we're there for you. And we're so happy you're part of our fun group. You're an awesome human being, Danny. Family. And we, we actually even got to meet her last year, you guys. Remember that at the Overlook? Absolutely. Yeah. Such a nice person. Big hugs to you, Danny. Hugs and... I'm at Byron McCoy on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. I think I'm done with Snapchat. Are you? I think I'm throw it away, man. It's for the kids. Byron at Friday.com is my email address. October continues. It does. And until next Friday, I'm Byron. I'm Sam. And I'm Kelly. What? What? Nickel. Nickel? Nickel. Nickel. Nicole. Nickel. Nickel. Nicole is a girl's name. Nickel. There you go. <laughs> I feel like I said that the whole time, but I know I didn't. <laughs> Joseph McKinty Nicole. Nickel. 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 <laughs> Fuck off, both of you guys. <laughs>